Hi, I'm James Smith, and this is my wife. I'm Tiara Smith, and we've been married for 18 years. We have been at LifePoint for about three years, and uh, we have two kids, uh, and then we're also fostering to adopt two more kids uh, who are little and full of energy and life. I believe that we chose Grace Marriage because we wanted to make sure that we had time to invest into ourselves, especially yeah. being foster parents. Oh, yeah. And it really helped us to have that discipline mm -hmm. to be able to spend time together. Yeah. We are Aaron and Julie Meyer, and we moved to Tennessee in 2006. And uh, been going to LifePoint since we uh, moved here. We were married in 03, so 16 years ago, and we have three wonderful children. And so in the middle of that, we took time out to do Grace Marriage because we thought our marriage was the most important for both us and then for them because their life is better when our marriage is wonderful. I think the topic or idea that's made the most impact is being intentional and being purposeful. I think we've said we want to do that in a marriage, and I'm speaking for me, is I think I really lacked on being that consistently. Especially when it came to having a good, consistent date night. And so Grace Marriage really pointed out the importance and uh, really what the Lord says and the Bible says about having consistent time for each other and dedicating that so that we give each other our firsts and spend an hour a week or two hours. And so we've really seen date night improve for us, not just in frequency, but also in the ability for us to connect during those times. We've been able to really communicate more than just on the surface. I think with our all of our kids that it helped us to be able to set that time aside to be able to rekindle and reconnect. Um, we used to have date nights and then all the kids came along and so yeah. it just brings us back. Yeah. Speaking for me as a man and as a husband is that it's taught me how to be a better leader. Uh, how to how to lead my family in uh, conversation, how to look at things in a different light than how I was necessarily raised. Uh, and so Grace Marriage helped me to see the value of being able to, to step back and say, okay, God, I'm giving this to you. Um, I'm gonna allow you to speak through this situation and help me to see, help me to see that. We don't live in a performance-based marriage. Aaron isn't with me for what I can do for him, to him, for our kids. He is with me because um, he loves me and that's enough. And I know that's just this crazy, easy thought, but mind boggling. Um, for me, everything's always been performance-based and this idea of grace and that, you know, he's gonna love me even when the dishes aren't done. And he's gonna love me even when I didn't do the right thing or the right choice. It's, it's not him taking advantage of me or me being walked on or the other way around. It's just this thing called grace that all of our marriages need. And I just, I've never seen our marriage that way. It's, it's always been performance-based without me knowing it or knowing the word to call it. I've never said, oh, we live in a performance-based marriage. I didn't know what that was until I read about what one is that isn't that. And then I was like, whoa, I am on the wrong side of this. And that takeaway is going to rock our marriage forever.
Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Getting the new year start off a little slow. But uh, I love the last part of that video because that's the power of Jesus. Jesus allows two people that struggle, that have all kinds of flaws, a lot of wounds, a lot of difficulties, to have an amazing relationship because of the grace of God. And then we put him on display. So, well, first, I just want to thank you guys for having me back. Um, I love being here. I've had the privilege of preaching at different churches, but I can say there's no place I like coming more than here. It's just, if, it feels like home here. It does. And I just love, y'all are so hospitable, so loving. You love marriage. You love each other. It's just a neat place. And for those that weren't here last year, I'm, my name's Brad Rhodes. I have five kids. Um, that's our uh, crew up there. Been married 24 years. Have uh, three teenage daughters, uh, a son and a, a nine-year-old. It's one complicated life. Uh, people told me that teenage girls are going to get complicated, and one of them's in here. But, wow, they were correct. Um, so we kind of have the child buffet. We've got two in college, one in high school, one in middle school, one in grade school. And um, I will say it's never boring. People say, how do you do it? I said, trust me, if you were in the house, you would not be remotely impressed. Um, but uh, we love our life. Um, I know there's mixed reaction when you come in, you hear sermons on marriage. Um, for some of you, you're not in a good marriage and you wish it was better. Uh, for some, you love it. For some are single. For some, it brings up old wounds and regrets and struggles. But my prayer today that this marriage, while it's a, this sermon, while it's about marriage, it's bigger than that. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about you being refreshed in God who loves you and saved you. And it's about equipping you to love well, to love well in marriage, to love friends well, to love kids well. And as it relates to marriage, I want you to see marriage as an institution that you get to put your king on display for this world. That the world watches Christ's sons and daughters love each other in such a way that a lost world looks at it and says, you know, that's beautiful. I want to know more about that. Because a story I heard, I was speaking out in Colorado and a lady raised her hand and asked if she could share a testimony. And I said, yes. She said, I had rejected Jesus and marriage. I thought it was traditional, restrictive. I thought it was bad for women. And she explained everything. She said, I met this woman. We'll call her Lisa. And she said, Lisa had me to coffee at Starbucks. And we would hang out and just talk, got to know each other, got in each other's lives. Lisa had me over to her house. I met her husband. And they really liked each other. And they had fun together. And they had six kids. And she said, I really came to love their family. And she said, over time, I started getting interested in Jesus. And then I accepted Christ as my Savior and my Lord. And now I'm married. And now I've got six kids. Isn't that cool? And her testimony was, I saw what I had rejected was beautiful when I saw it lived out beautifully. 
And see, and that's what we want for LifePoint. We want your marriages lived out beautifully. So you go out there and you show, you show a lost, chaotic, messed up, dysfunctional world what function and love looks like. Isn't that awesome? Because we've got an opportunity. Christ sacrificed for us. We can sacrifice for each other, put him on display. Christ forgave us and gave us grace. We can hold no sin against us and each other and show that God will show no, hold no sin against you if you accept his son. And then we can delight in one another and show him how when you become a son of God, the father who's created the world delights in you. So we're going to start with sacrifice. I just want you to take a second and think of sacrifice for you. God's sacrifice for you. John 3, 16. God so loved you that he sent his son from perfect heaven to earth to die for you. Think about it. If you have one kid, one kid that's a son, and you say, I'm going to send you to a bunch of messed up mean people. And I'm going to let them abuse your son, torture your son, ridicule your son, mock your son. And then I'm going to have them put your son up on a cross and put rusty nails through him and kill him in front of a bunch of people mocking him. Because I love you that much. And more than that, I'm going to take all the punishment that you deserve... And I'm going to put it on my son and let him feel all of that in your place, all to set you free. That's how much you're loved. It's hard to even fathom how much we're loved. And then God says, love each other. How? As I've loved you. So people say, well, how do I love my spouse? Like Jesus Christ loved you you. So you think he sacrificed for me and I'm going to put his sacrifice on display. Because when I really recognize how much God adores Brad and sent his son to die for Brad, and I really just bask in that, I can't wait to get up and love you guys and my wife and my family. Because well-loved people love people well. And what's John 15 say? Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And who's your primary friend in life? If you're married, it's your spouse. So a life of daily laying yourself down for another person is beautiful and it's attractive. And the irony of the whole thing is it will make you happy and bring you joy. We find joy by giving our life away to others. We don't find joy by what others give us. That's why Matthew 10, 39 says, whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses life for my sake will gain eternal life. Whoever tries to find life, happiness, and joy through a marriage will likely lose their marriage. Whoever decides I'm going to lay down my life for my spouse and my marriage will likely have an amazing marriage and tell you how amazing their spouse is. Let me tell you a story about a friend of mine. He'd been married about 35, 40 years. His wife started not feeling well. They went to the doctor and they got that uh, scary thing that everybody dreads, cancer. And you got the worst part because not only is it cancer, we can't treat it, we can't help her. She has about six months to live. She spent her last six months in a hospital bed, unable to do hardly anything. 
And my friend said for six months, I talked to her, held her hand, helped her go to the bathroom, bathed her, served her. And when he told me the story, he was crying. And he said, Brad, it was the best six months of my whole life. And it was the best six months of our entire marriage. Because I've learned when God says we come alive by serving and sacrificing, Brad, no, it's true. So I want you today to just rest and relax in the love of God. Realize how much you're loved and go sacrifice for one another. Well, think about why did he do this? Why did God have to sacrifice his son for us? It's because we needed forgiveness. We needed grace. So he sent his son on the cross so our sin would not be held against us so we could have communion with the Father. In Ephesians it says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the blood of Jesus, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So I want to ask you, what does it really mean to obtain the riches of his grace? What does it mean to just have his grace lavished on all of you? What does it mean to be totally free, light burden, rested soul, easy yoke, Sabbath rest of Christ, anxious about nothing? Well, last year I talked about a performance-based marriage and a grace-based marriage, and this year I thought to really give grace effectively, you have to experience it yourself. Because for seven years, for many years of my walk with Jesus, I understood grace theologically and I would teach forgiveness and I would teach grace, but I walked around feeling stressed and pressured like I was never a good enough Christian trying to be a better Christian. And then God was so kind to me because he gave me a friend that God used to show me what grace really is. My friend was a brilliant man. He had his PhD, an engineering degree, business degree from Stanford, had 180 employees. But what he had most was he understood the love of God. He understood what it looked like and meant to be totally forgiven. He got to know me and he saw a driven, pressured person trying to be successful at everything. Wanted to be successful at work. Wanted to be successful as a Christian. Trying to be good at everything. He said, Brad, I want to help you take your focus off improving you and put it on a beautiful Jesus Christ that's perfect and will refresh you and totally set you free. Well, he was graciously harsh. Um, He used the term to describe me a moral narcissist. So, if you ever want to like, make somebody really stop, call him a narcissist. You know, I've been thinking, you're, you're a narcissist. But his point was that I focused on what I'm doing right, what I'm doing wrong, and what I can do better. I didn't focus on what Jesus had done all the time. I needed to fix my eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ and not fix my eyes on me and try to improve me. One time I was struggling, I sent him an email about all the struggles I was having and all my concerns. And, and I remember his response was, Brad, with all due respect, my friend, get over yourself. I mean, my email was this long. His response was this long. But his point was, don't fix your eyes on yourself and your problems. Fix your eyes on Jesus and how you can love other people. 
He said, let me simplify the Christian faith. Whoever's in front of you, love them really well. And I tell you, he did it. I went out to California when he was having his brain surgery and I saw grace in action. He came out of brain surgery and the nurses were taking care of him. And he was asking the nurses questions and getting to know on them, encouraging them, telling them what they were doing well. And one of the nurses walked out and he looked at me and said, Brad, isn't it fun loving people? Isn't it fun loving people? Well, I want you to have fun in marriage loving one another. And I want Christ in you, the hope of glory, to give you a peace and a forgiveness and a grace and a refreshment that you have trouble believing even exists. Because grace and peace is powerful. I mean, when I would talk to him, my blood pressure would go down. I remember going to a court case in Kentucky and I was stressed. Have you ever been stressed where you can almost like feel like you're carrying it in your stress or in your, in your chest or in your back and you feel like you're not even breathing deeply? Well, that's how I felt. And I called him. He talked to me for 15 minutes and I hung up and I felt like I was at total peace without a worry in the world. And I thought to myself, may believers be that for a lost world. May me put the Prince of Peace on display. Well, when he died, when he died of brain cancer, this year was a very sad year for me because he got brain cancer, died very quickly, and I almost had a visual of God showing me the, a baton, like a track baton. You hand when you're running and you give it to the next person. It's almost like Brad said, Brad, Doug's finished. He's finished his leg of the race. I've appointed him to impart to you this. Now you take it and share it. So my prayer is that you would pick up the baton and go love your spouse and love this world. So what does it look like to put the grace of Jesus on display in marriage? One, it's not holding any past sin against your spouse. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Blessed are those whose sins are forgiven the man whom sin is not counted against him. So it's, we've all wronged each other a ton. I wronged Marilyn terribly before I even met Marilyn. But she doesn't hold it against me. So what's it look like? Let me give you an example. There's a story I heard, a husband and wife. Husband made some poor choices, got too close to someone of the opposite sex. He ended up having an affair. Felt convicted and repented of the affair, shared it with his wife. His wife said she forgave him. They stayed together, kept coming to church, but lived in a quiet misery. She looked at him and was like, I can't believe you would do that to me and our family. He looked himself in the mirror and said, I can't believe I've done that to my wife and my family. He was miserable, she was miserable, the marriage was miserable. And then she was looking through a picture album and she saw a picture of her husband when they were first married and he was laughing. And then she looked at him and he was downcast. And she decided, I'm gonna love that guy like he never cheated on me. And God's grace and forgiveness brought her back alive, brought him alive, brought the marriage alive, and the ministry of reconciliation was put on display. 
So one, just ask yourself if you're married, is there anything in our past that I'm kind of quietly holding against my spouse? And then the second thing, ask yourself, is there anything on an ongoing basis, work too much, not respectful, whatever, that ongoing struggles that I'm holding against my spouse? Because Colossians says, bearing with one another, and as one has a complaint against each other, forgiving one another as the Lord has forgiven you. To have a great marriage, you have to daily put your marriage under grace. Because guess what? When you live with someone, they're going to get on your nerves. And there's going to be periods you don't like them. When we dated, I was Marilyn's favorite person in the entire world. Six months into marriage, I was her least favorite person in the entire world. True. Even yesterday, I had a lot going on. She had a lot going on. I was on her nerves. And then after I was on her nerves, I walked in the house, didn't take my shoes off, didn't realize they were muddy, and put 15 footprints on a white area rug. It was crazy, Alan. Clear my, you could see the soul. And it's funny, my kids, they love it when I get in trouble with Marilyn. It's like my kids see, oh, and they took off running the other room. Mom, come here. And they're like watching, like, you know, they take, they take my phone. What's they going to do to dad? But before I came here today, we were fine. And we were laughing. And we were doing well. Because... Ongoing mistakes, struggles, and stress don't control a marriage when you understand the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I will tell you, it sets all relationships free to thrive. Parenting. I don't know if any of you have this kid, but I've got one kid that really is good at blowing everybody else up. If she knows you have a weak spot, she can speak right into it and make you yell. She could make the Pope cuss. <laughs> and we, we have a pattern. Um, I, I will get upset and then I will raise my voice. And I know I shouldn't do that, but it happens. But let me tell you, Abby and I have a great relationship, and let me tell you why. When she goes to bed at night and we have one of those nights, I'll go in her room and I'll say, Abby, dad messed up as a parent today. Really sinned against you. Dad shouldn't raise her voice, shouldn't yell at their kids. And I said, but you know, God forgives me, and I'm going to go in my room, and I'm going to sleep fine tonight because of Jesus. And I said, you know, Abby, you messed up as a daughter, and God forgives you, and you can sleep well. And because I'm forgiven, you're forgiven. I forgive you. You forgive me. She said, yes. And I said, we're good, aren't we? She'll point at me and smile and say, we're good, Dad. And we're fine. Isn't that beautiful? But that's what grace does. Grace preserves relationship. Grace allows us to enjoy life and one another. And if you want to know if you're walking in grace, ask yourself these questions. One, am I safe? calm space for my spouse? Does my spouse just love being around me, is drawn to me? Do I bring peace? Do I give out compliments and encouragement? Do I feel free? Do I feel like I can breathe deeply and enjoy life? Can I just relax? Can I be fully present and enjoy people? Because I tell you, 
God loves you and he doesn't want you to live under pressure. He doesn't want you to live always bothered by the behavior of others, feeling like you're never good enough. He doesn't want you in so addicted to business and distraction because you're not okay with yourself. It's for freedom that Christ set us free. We were captives. We have been liberated. And it's awesome. So now go experience it and put it on display for this world. Now, let me ask you the question. Why did he do it? Why did God look down upon all these jacked up people in here, including myself, and say, they're messed up, they're in rebellion, they're enemies of God, so what am I going to do? I'm going to send my son to die for you. I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to allow them to thrive and sacrifice my son for them. Why? It's because he delights in you. Psalm 18, 19 answers the question why he rescued us. It said he rescued us because he delighted in us. If you're in Jesus, you're God's kid. You're his adopted son or daughter. That's your status and your inheritance is secure. For those who have kids, when your kid does something well, how proud do you get? When I watch my kid run a race or do well, it's like, I mean, I get more excited them doing well than when I do well. And when they hurt and they cry and they're in pain, it hurts much more than when I'm in pain. I've learned that. And to whatever degree you feel about your own kids, God delights in you more times than you could realize more than that. And I get it. It's hard to fathom. You're like, Brad, you don't know me. Oh, we're all, we all have issues. Behind the curtains of everybody's life is real complicated and real difficult. I'm scattered, I'm distracted, I'm emotionally avoidant. I've got all kinds of issues and God loves Brad Rhodes and delights in his son named Brad Rhodes and said, I've set you free, have a blast. So what's it look like in marriage? What's it look like to delight in one another in marriage? Song of, if you look at Proverbs, it answers the question. It says, rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight and be intoxicated always in her love. Delight is a choice. Philippians 4, 8, if anything's excellent or praiseworthy, dwell on these things. You will find what you're looking for. If you're married and you're looking hard for what's good about your spouse, you'll find a lot. If you're married and you're noticing what's wrong with your spouse, you'll find a lot. One time Marilyn was out of delight mode. And the reason I thought that was because she said, quote, even the way you drink coffee gets on my every nerve. <laughs> I don't forget that, but just like looking at me for her was unpleasant. <laughs> but she decided, she went out in our backyard she sat on the swing and she took a notepad and she chose to delight in me. She wrote down everything she liked about me, why she married me, and just read over it and over it and over it. And she said, Brad, I walked back in the back door. I looked at you and I couldn't believe it. I liked you again. <laughs> but that's why delight is a choice. 
you can fall more and more and love each other if you choose to delight in each other. Gary Thomas, author of Sacred Marriage, he gives kind of a warning and says, don't let your standard of beauty be dictated by a messed up world that objectifies women. Let your standard of beauty be the specific physical attributes of your spouse. He prayed, Lord, make it that the physical attributes of the woman that I'm attracted to be the same attributes that my wife has. He says, now the only time I'm tempted to look is if somebody walks by that kind of looks like my wife. God answers prayer. So in that passage, it says, be intoxicated in one another. You ever thought about that? Be intoxicated. Be drunk in one another. Well, how do you get drunk? How many beers do you drink to get drunk? Say, well, we have one beer. That's no, two, three. The more beers you have, the more drunk you get. Now, Scripture says it forbids intoxication. So we're not here telling you to go start out the new year with a buzz. But it says get intoxicated in one another. Eat, drink, and be drunk with love. So this pushes you to go get a lot of each other. Get a lot of communication, a lot of time, a lot of dating, a lot of intimacy. And the more you have of each other, the more you will almost get addicted to one another. We've been on a date once a week for like the last 24 years. We're not going to miss next week. We kind of like being around each other. I just want you to know that delight is a powerful thing. Some of the best parenting advice I ever got, a friend of mine said, delight in your kids. And I said, what's that mean? He said, enjoy them. Make it so that they know nobody in the world likes them and thinks they're cooler than you do. So, wow. So, wow, that sounds good. So, we watch TV shows together. We do things together. My daughter Madeline's here with me today, and I love it. And I've fallen in love with my kids, and they like me. Because he told me whoever's kindest has the most influence. Have you ever noticed that you really dig people that dig you? I mean, you, I mean, like, I, I was just thinking, the, the people that I like the most, I can kind of tell they really like me. <laughs> so delight in one another, it is powerful. Look at it in marriage. Marilyn, she knows all my hang-ups. She knows my relational wounds. She knows my overcommitment. She knows my annoying habits. She points out what I do well. She knows how insecure I am. And she tells me, God has appointed you, Brad, to help marriages at this time. Go do it, Brad. You're amazing. And she fights my insecurities, and she's my biggest fan, and she delights in me. I'm fully known by her, and she loves me anyway. And this works in all relationships. Have you noticed why most friendships will start real well and start getting a little less good? It's because you start realizing they've got issues and problems and you withdraw from the person. Delight and pursue, it's powerful. So sacrifice, grace, delight. And now to the question, how does this happen? We're in a busy world with marriage in decline. 40 to 50% of marriage is in a divorce. Most of the others look pretty dull. How do we avoid being conformed to these patterns? We discipline ourselves to spend time together. Most marriages, as it says in Proverbs 5.23, they die from a lack of discipline. Discipline protects 
marriage. When you spend a lot of time together, compliment each other, come together a lot, Satan's temptations are as weak as watered down skim milk. If you're not spending a lot of time together, you're not complimenting each other, you're stagnant, you're busy, you're overcommitted, you've got all this stuff going on, and then it works, and I said, you know, you look really nice. It's tempting. Hungry people do stupid things. Have you ever thought the story of Esau? What did he give his birthright away for? A bowl of stew. Does, that's ever, that seems kind of stupid, doesn't it? You know, I've got a birthright. How about I'll trade, I'll trade you my birthright for a bowl of soup. Why did he do it? He was really, really hungry. Love each other well and protect your marriage. That's why LifePoint and Pat's up here saying, take four hours, one morning every 90 days and be strategic and plan your quarter together. Do a quarterly assessment. Take a look at your marriage. Decide where we are and how we can grow and how we can protect what we have. The more time together, the better marriage you will have. The top 3% of marriages are those where a couple spends five hours of one-on-one time each week. And a lot of folks say, man, I'm busy. I really don't have time for this. I've got so much going on already. I talked to a busy, busy businessman one time. His name was uh, TC. And he said, Brad, I love this, but I travel. I've got a lot of work. I've got kids. I've got all this. I don't have time. I said, let me ask you a question. If I asked you, will you come work a project for me next April? And you put it on your schedule. And then somebody else says, can you come that same time? What would you say? He said, well, I'd say I've already booked for Brad. I said, why can you give me more priority than you can give your own wife? His wife was standing right beside him. She went. <laughs> he goes, got me. And now he is prioritizing his wife above other things, and his marriage is growing and coming more and more alive. Now, some of you are in rough times right now. Jesus said, in this world, you'll have trouble. And um, now that I'll be 52 in April, uh, I fully believe the truth of that verse. <laughs> uh, we've been about, went through about three years of child health crisis where um, we were just miserable. Uh, my wife went through shingles twice, early changed of life. I got to see what a heart cath looks like. Um, we've been under a lot of stress. But I tell you, we went to marriage coaching every quarter. We went on a date every week. Was, did it look fun? No. Was it fun? No. Most dates involved her just crying. But I will tell you, God is faithful. And we came out the back end and his stability closer and better in our marriage than we have ever been. Because what Satan wants to do to destroy you, if you stay faithful to God's word, all he'll do is make it so it makes you stronger in Jesus and stronger in one another. So what we're asking you to do at LifePoint, it's to come together once every 90 days. And you're saying, what am I going to do? It's not four hours of seminar. You'll have some, some content, but then you'll have time to think and pray, plan your quarter. You'll have time to talk a lot of face-to-face time with your spouse, and you'll plan your quarter together. So each quarter, Marilyn and I plan our next quarter together. How much we're going to date, what we're going to do. We're going to the Alan Jackson concert in Cincinnati next week thanks to last quarter's marriage coaching. 
and we learn what's not going well. Every quarter, I have a chance for Maryland to say, what's not going well? Sometimes we're doing well, sometimes we're not doing as well, but we're always committed to course correction when we need to. So you cast vision, you get on the same page, you get excited. It's a proactive approach to marriage. Most marriages would say, we're okay, we're fine. That's who grace marriage is primarily for. It's for folks that feel like you're doing okay, but you would like to get on a growth curve so that the last year of your marriage is your best year of marriage. That every year you get closer together and every year you enjoy each other more and more because you're in love with Jesus Christ and you want him magnified. So let me show you this little chart. This is, a, we call it the scale of enjoyment. And I want you to ask yourself, where would we place ourselves on this chart? Well, there it is. Thriving is regular enjoyment. Stable, occasional enjoyment, stagnant, rare enjoyment, and crisis, no enjoyment. So wherever you are in this continuum, what LifePoint's marriage ministry is designed to do is on the next slide. And that's to move you toward thriving. And if you are thriving, to keep you there. Because the pattern of this world is to become stagnant and to find some acceptable norm you can both live with. But we want you on a growth curve. And some of you may know this and some of you may not, but LifePoint is a unique place. It is a great place. The DNA of this church includes healthy marriage and investment. Pat's in coaching, your staff's in coaching, Joe Gordon and Howard are amazing. Last year, you had 250 couples in marriage coaching. Well, next year, the curriculum will be different. It covers sex, communication, respect, cell phones, technology. You just simply say, my marriage is worth $50 every 90 days, and my marriage is worth four hours, one morning a quarter to be really intentional to take care of it and to grow it. First Corinthians says, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. We have an enemy that's prowling around and wants to destroy your family. And right now, he's batting between 400 and 500 in killing marriages. His batting average is way too high. We want vibrant, lasting marriages to be the absolute norm. Stagnancy and crisis be the exception in God to get glory and to show what his order looks like and how beautiful it is. And like that lady I talked about at the beginning of the sermon, that the world comes to know Jesus by our love. So thank you for letting me come here. Thank you for working alongside Grace Marriage to help change the paradigm and how marriage is done in our culture. I pray you leave here feeling fully loved, fully forgiven, that you have a God that adores you and that you go and pour out what you've been given on your spouse and on this lost world. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for 
loving us, adopting us, forgiving us, sacrificing for us, allowing us to thrive despite all our problems. Lord, I pray for the marriages in here, that every marriage in here, wherever they are, that you would help them become stronger and stronger, that you would get more and more glory, and you would set more and more of us free. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.